0: Welcome to another segment of BuddyCast. Now, I've got a special treat for all you buddies out there. I've got a really great buddy of mine, a man who you might all know from America's Got Talent, or if you've seen him on stage, my pal, Greg Morton. How are you doing today, buddy? Good, Nick. How are you doing, buddy? <laughs> I'm doing amazing now that you're on the show. Good to be on the BuddyCast
1: with you, my buddy.
0: Absolutely. Everyone's a buddy here, man. But you and me have been buddy for how long now? I think it's been two years? Yeah, two Everybody. years. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, met at Juniors all those years ago and you gave me some great advice that I'm hoping you can share with the audience, you know? <laughs> Don't get into comedy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Kidding. go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. But let's start
1: out with that. How did you get into comedy? Uh, well, I guess to make a long story short, I, I went uh, to this place that had a, a comedy night And it was right next door to a steakhouse. And I went to see my first show, loved it. Actually, it wasn't my first show. It was my uh, more than that because, no, here's what happened. I went, it was a a college trip. That's what it was, a college trip uh, with some friends of mine. And uh, we had a great English class. And our English professor was always trying to get us to experience new and creative things, because you know, we were, my major was animation, and so he'd expose us to plays, uh, improv, comedy, stand-up comedy, whatever he thought would help us. So he took us to see Second City. He took us to uh, comedy clubs, and the one night that he took us to a comedy club, wow, well, that was it, man. We were just uh, got bitten by the bug. And at the time, we, uh, a friend of mine and I, we were doing song funny songs they weren't song parodies they were original songs like my friend he had gone to university and majored in music and he was writing original pieces of music and then i would just come up with the the lyrics funny lyrics now a lot of them the songs were pretty dirty you know filthy it was his uh, college you know so uh, we were anyway we were a big huge hit at the uh, college but when we went to uh, the comedy club we said well we, could we get on stage And uh, the owner said, yeah, sure. Uh, Come on out on Tuesday night. We encourage it. Uh, That's our new talent night. And we came out and we killed. But of course, the whole audience was full of uh, college students. (laughs) So then the next time we came and we ate it. Mm. So it was a great experience, though. And I didn't revisit comedy until years after that um it wasn't until after i had gotten out of uh animation and uh, had, had my own business and i was working as a a uh, uh a disc jockey mobile disc jockey i had my own business in that so but that's how i got a lot of my stage time mm. because uh i was on on stage every weekend you know doing weddings and parties and dances and i would open up my show with five to 10 minutes of comedy. That's how I got my stage time, and then I'd play records. So, nice. yeah. Nice. Then one, time, then one time, one night I got heckled, these guys go, play the music! And I go, okay, now it's time to make the transition into comedy. <laughs> 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 so.
0: Absolutely. Hey, speaking of hecklers, do you
1: have any good heckler stories for us? Heckler stories? Um, I don't know about heckler stories uh let me think here i had one lady hmm i've had a lot of hecklers <laughs> so i'm just trying to think of the best one yeah but i'll tell you what an interesting one i had a, uh i had this guy okay i went into this bar where they had comedy and First thing the the barkeep te- bar says is uh, he hands me this microphone. And he says, I'm going to give you this microphone. It's a cordless microphone. Do you know how much these things cost? I go, yeah, they're about a 1000 bucks He says, that's right. So don't break the microphone. The comedian that was here last week, he broke the microphone. So don't break the microphone. I go, yeah, I got it. So I get up on stage, and it's one of these bars where, you know, it's like out of the Blues Brothers where you'd have chicken wire in the front, you know. And they're not listening, everybody's drinking, they're not paying attention. So I go to my improv skills. I figure, hey, I'll improvise, I'll make something up out of this. So I go, uh, I start picking on this guy. I said, oh, look at this guy, you guys. Because the way he was talking to his friend, his arms were going like just wild and crazy. And I started making fun of him, saying he looked like the robot from Lost in Space. And he kind of looked like the lead singer from the Spin Doctors. And I zinged him a couple of ones. And he says, look, if you don't go back, your little skit i'm going to take that microphone and stick it where the sun don't shine and as he's saying that his hand comes out and it wraps around the top of the microphone and he snaps the top off like it's a carrot it just makes this sickening crunch sound so i hold up the microphone and the head is just dangling by two little wires (laughs) i go I do Bugs Bunny, I go, oh, Mr. Nettyshire, you know, and you can see him in the back. He goes, oh. (laughs) (laughs) He He does this huge face palm, and then the next thing I know, I hear this rip, and he grabs my shirt, and he pulls it like this, and I'm going like, well, I guess we're fighting. I don't know how to fight, but I guess we're fighting. So I start doing the windmill, and I'm they i just, I have arms are going like this. Two of the biggest bouncers come out of nowhere. They jump on me first and they go, settle down, settle down. I go, okay, okay, look, I'm just trying to protect myself. I look over at this guy. There's five or six other guys on him and they're trying to wrestle him to the ground. Well, they call the cops and the cops are big guys. They look like RCMP. I mean, they're huge out there. This is a Western Canada and uh, they, they come in and they arrest this guy they take him to jail. Now keep in mind that I still have to do my show, but the microphone is broken. And the only microphone that works is the microphone at the DJ booth. And it's one of those little gooseneck microphones. Terrible. So I'm standing up in the DJ booth, and the only time that people would laugh is when I talk about almost getting my ass kicked. I finish my half hour, I get my check, and I get the heck out of there. So that's uh, probably one of the worst ones, the uh, worst <laughs> heckle situations that I've had. But I've had some doozies, let me tell you.
0: That's one of those moments where at the end of your show,
1: that's a hook. <laughs> oh. a <joke. laughs>
0: Now, speaking of impressions, when I saw you on America's Got Talent, you did a lot of impressions. How did you find your passion for doing
1: impressions? Uh, I, I just did it automatically. I always mimicked uh, cartoons. My mom said that when I was a little kid, I would mimic whatever was on TV. So and that back then, there were only about two or three channels. That's all you had to watch. So, uh, you know, Saturday morning, I would watch cartoons. Sunday afternoon, Bugs Bunny and Road Run- and the Roadrunner show would come on. I'd watch that. Or a noon hour, I'd watch cartoons. And uh, that's when I started mimicking voices. Nice.
0: Yeah. How long does it usually take? Like, if you ever create a new impression, how long does it usually take for you to perfect it or to create it in your mind?
1: Um, it depends. Uh, I did one recently, Idris Elba. And uh, that took me about two days, two or three days, I'd say. And I had to really listen to the voice, then let it go, just sleep on it, come back, and then it would gradually start to to come in. And that was a complicated one because I had to get the accent and the, you know, we, all cance- <clears throat> we are canceling the apocalypse, you know, and I had to get that whole thing going. and uh, And I had to speak normally like that character too. Uh, now I can't do it now, but I'm, this is going back a few months when I was working on that, uh, that uh, character. But uh, some of them take a little more work than others. Others are easy. I just, I can do it immediately. Just, oh yeah, I got that one. Or sometimes if I hear somebody do it, I can hear the way they've broken it down. See, that's like almost like give, being given a, a combination to a safe, you know, and you just mm-hmm. march right in and do it. It's a lot like singing. So, if it's in your vocal range, it's a lot easier to do. You can do it, no problem. But if it's outside of your range, that's when it becomes really difficult. See, every, every, um, Every every voice has a pitch, you know, so you find, figure out where that is. Is it in here? Is it kind of in here? Oh, maybe it's
0: a little higher.
1: Or oh, maybe it's a little lower. And then you maybe, maybe you got to put some grit into it. Maybe you put an accent. Oh, Hey, look, uh,
0: what are you talking about? you talking about, hey, you trying to get off with me. Hey, right, come on. Get, get, bring, it, bring it on. I'll see what I can do.
1: Or maybe, or maybe it's a little slower. Sure. It's, from, it's from the southern United States, and you just kind of kind of, let's roll with it whatever you've got to do mate you just do it it's not that you know it's if you've heard it a lot and you keep it just goes inside the back of your brain and you just you know so that's how i i, I come off all these different different voices and different characters and i just from listening to people and and coming up with different voices and characters. And then you take that on stage and you start wrapping it around your tongue and like, oh, and then of course it helps to get into it physically, you know, the physical aspect of the character that really helps bring the voice out. That was
0: amazing. (laughs) Do that on the spot too. That was, was... I've been doing it a
1: long time. So, (laughs) and I would do impressions of teachers and, uh, uh, things like that, and uh, different characters, and you know, I grew up in a in a time when they have it was all variety shows. When I was coming up, you know, we had uh, the Flip Wilson show, Sonny and Cher, uh, the Carol Burnett show. So all these stars would come on, and they did characters all the time. They had impressionists, and they had people who did voices. So. It it was easy for me. I'd go and I would mimic those characters and then I'd go to school and I'd put on skits at school in the playground when we were out for recess. Dean Martin show, oh, so much fun. All those characters. But they were really broad, very uh, vaudeville-esque type characters. You know, Red Skelton show, that was another great, great show that had a lot of famous comedians. And I used to have, uh, I would study a lot A lot of it was just for entertainment, I thought, but I guess I was studying. I guess some of it must've got in my head because uh, when I was a kid, I I painted this one wall in my room white, and then I put a border of uh, sort of psychedelic wallpaper on either side, and I made it into a cinema. And then I'd go to the library, and I would uh, take out old classics like um, Laurel and Hardy and Charlie Chaplin, and, and and study comedy, and I, I didn't even know. I just I just loved it. That's all, you know. Some of these old films were silent films, eight millimeter, and I would uh, set up my uh, record player and I would play music, my records, to uh, as the backdrop for some of the movies. And sometimes the lyrics would coincidentally go along with uh, whatever was happening on screen. It was always very funny and. and I really enjoyed it. I I still have a great love for movies. Absolutely. What are some of your favorite movies, by the way? My favorite movies? I have uh, several. Uh, uh, Let's see. Star Wars, as you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Pulp Fiction. The Godfather. um, Jaws. That's another one of my favorite movies. Uh, Lord of the Rings. A lot of fantasy I really love Glen Gary, Glenn Ross. That's a ca- classic. I can watch that over and over again. Old No Country for Old Men. That's another one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything that I love, I collect. You know, if I can watch it more than once, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. It sounded,
0: like, it sounded like you got a lot of classics in there too. I do. I do. I have
1: a whole set of DVDs. I've got about three binders full of d- DVDs. And I've got a huge thick binder of uh, Blu-rays as well. And then I just, mm. <laughs> and then after a while you're like, I got to stop collecting. I can't, <laughs> even though I would love to collect everything. I mean, there's so many things. I I have a whole collection of uh, the Marx Brothers movies, you know, uh, I'd like to get, uh, sorry about that. I'd I think like can- some more, uh, what, what's the other one? Laurel and Hardy. That's some of my favorites. And, uh, Abbott and Lou Costello, love that too. So, love those guys. Who's right. on first? What's that? Who's on first? Yeah, who's on first? That's right, baby.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you ever see the one seven times thirteen equals
1: twenty
0: eight? No. No. Look that one up. It's a whole. He does this whole math problem. Seven times thirteen equals twenty eight.
1: <laughs> oh, that would make my head hurt.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh. Now let me ask you. You were on America's Got Talent. You made it pretty far. What inspired you to go on the
1: show? Uh, I felt like it was a good fit for me because it's a variety show. And uh, my act is very rooted in that uh, variety sort of thing. Um, I didn't know I'd be doing what I'd be doing. They, they, they were really keen on me doing impressions. And as you know, you've seen me before, I don't do just impressions. I do a little bit of everything. My show is kind of a one-person variety show, you know? And uh, so after I'd done, they said, what do you want to do first? I go, like, I I gotta do Star Wars. So I do Star Wars. Join me, Luke. Join me on the dark side. (laughs) I'll never join you. Ah, hello, Master Luke, Master Luke. Look at the little leader standing by. Gold leader, the gold leader standing by. Look out, Corkins. Shut the little 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 Yes, go ahead, young Skywalker. Join me and your father the attack. Shite of the horse. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> so after that, they said, what else you got? <laughs> um, so I, I, I showed them a couple other things. I said, uh, well, I'd like to do uh, Lord of the Rings, but it wasn't enough. They co- You know what, what happened on the show? Uh, they have to get clearance for everything uh, because, well, of course, you know that, copyright. Yeah. And so uh, I couldn't just do Lord of the Rings. I thought, well, I got this made. I've been doing Lord of the Rings for quite a few years now. I've got this you know, I've got this down pat. I'll, I can't lose. You have no passion. And uh, they said, well, what if we did more voices? Let's do a whole bunch of different... This because everybody has their own uh, producer on the show, hmm. and come up with ideas for the show, and so we're. She, I I put some things together, and she suggested some movies, and a lot of them were voices I had never done before. So I'm putting this whole thing together, uh, and uh, she says, "Okay, that's good. Send me a tape." I go, like, I sent her a tape. Okay, we got to tweak it, maybe put change the order, or can we do something different, or let's add some more movies. And then I'd go back and re-record it and then send it out again. And then they'd look at it, and then they, she'd show it around and to the other producers. And so after the first show, I was I was flying by the seat of my pants. Like, I, I didn't know what <laughs> – we were coming up with something new every time. And it was closer level of material, you know, like this is uh, these bits that I was doing were were bits that I would use to close with, and I thought, well, you know, I I know what the formula is. I know how I came up with the first one, and really, the first one, uh, Star Wars, was just an accident, happy accident. I was on stage, I was clearing up my gear, and uh, the bartender, he was a huge Star Wars fan, and he throws on the uh, the theme to Star Wars, right? And uh, so I'm at the microphone. I just start goofing off, and I'm doing all the different sound effects. He says, man, you should put that in your show. What are you doing? That should be in your show. So I played around with it a little bit, just doing little voices here and there. But another comedian uh, who I had worked with before, uh, his name was Uncle Dirty. Now, Uncle Dirty, <laughs> he had, his career was in the 60s and early 70s. He used to hang out with uh, Richard Pryor. It was really good buds with him, and Richard Pryor used to say, "You know, dirty, dirty knows co- comedy," and he did. He really knew. He really knew comedy, and he he gave me some great advice. He said, "Kid, you should take that, put it into a bit, and into a whole piece, and then you should open with it." And I said, "Open with it? That's like a closer." He says, "No, man. If you open with it, you won't have to work as hard." It'll be like, bam! Everybody knows that you're, you've you've come here to bring the goods, and you're not going to disappoint, and you're going to make your job a lot easier. And so that was a really great lesson that I learned about comedy uh, from Uncle Dirty is that if you open with a really really strong joke, something that you might normally close with, it makes the rest of your work a lot easier.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I always ask this for um, for my buddy, casts, For someone looking to go into comedy, what's your advice to them?
1: Well, I would say study. You know, you should study a lot. I don't think a lot of guys do their homework. Or if they study, they study their favorite, whoever that may be. Now, unfortunately, unconsciously or subconsciously, you end up copying your your uh, your mentor and you start to sound a lot like them like I remember in the 80s and the 90s a lot of people sounded like Seinfeld now a lot of people sound like Bill Barr or they sound like Louis CK and uh, there can only be one of those you know you have to bring out your original voice whatever that is and you're never going to hear that if you're always listening to this mentor in fact, you should be listening to somebody who's physically uh, different in appearance from you, so that so that um, so that you don't have that crossover. It's a, that's actually a good thing. Or you listen to so many different people, but it, it, it's hard to do. I mean, when you first start, you're just learning, so you basically you just want to be funny, and you do whatever you can to be funny. That's why people, a lot of people, curse. You know. I would recommend uh, working clean because it it makes it so much easier uh, in the long run because if you start out dirty, then you got to clean it up later. You got to clean it up sooner or later, right? I mean, and that's, where, that's where a lot of the work is. I mean, if you want to do corporates or you want to be on television, uh, now a lot, I'm not saying that's the rule. I mean, there are always exceptions to the rule. If you look around, right, you can see uh, other comics who have who are, have ex, their exception to that rule, but I just think it makes it easier. And if you think that way, it's easier to figure out the construct of a joke. Now, uh, if you drop the F-bomb, it's, uh, it's a shock. So people are going to laugh, ob- obviously. You know, some of these things are still taboo in our society. So it's an easy laugh, but you know, I do get it, though. I mean, when you're up there, you feel very uncomfortable, and you, that can become a real security blanket. And uh, But I just think it, it's good to, to keep it clean if you can and learn the stru- joke structure and how to write a joke. And I would r- highly recommend um, listening to Steve Martin and Woody Allen as uh, – to learn joke structure, they're two of the greatest writers, you know, uh, comedy writers you'll ever you'll ever listen to. They're just they're so good at what they do, and George Carlin. Now, George Carlin is a completely different thing. Like if you listen to George, he will actually change your brain. It's almost like pot or something. Maybe that's after effects from the pot, all the pot that he smoked, but. But he affects a certain part of the brain where you'll start thinking in a certain way. You won't necessarily write like George Carlin, but he'll get you to think in a more analytical way, which is what we are. We are analysts. We are observers, and we, you know, we take things that we see and we may show people where the humor is in all of those things, and uh, the uh, looking for the twist and the the flip. Um, I don't know, not so much now. Now I see a lot of young guys telling stories, which is good. They're storytellers and they talk about their lives, which is important because that means you're gonna have your original Mm -hmm. material because it didn't happen to anybody else but you. So it's a good thing. But they forget that when you tell a story, it has to have laughs all along the way in order to be a good storyteller. So you gotta go, Okay, I can set up a, I'll say one thing that might be a fact in my story. Uh, uh, the fact is that my, uh, you know, my hair uh, uh, caught on fire, uh, uh, getting too close to a light socket, I don't know, whatever it is, you know, and uh, maybe that's a fact. So then what's the punchline? you got to figure out where does that go? And uh So that you have laughs all the way through your storyline. Otherwise, you just have a long rambling story that goes nowhere. I mean, nobody wants to listen to that. So you practice on your friends and uh, you see how that goes. And if it doesn't, well, then you've got to retool your story. It's a real art being a good storyteller. So, Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Now, let's go back a little bit in time. Do you remember when you first started out in comedy? What do you mean when I first started out? Like, do you remember, like, the early stages? Like, your first open mics, your first your first paid show, your
1: first... Yeah. My first open mic, uh, that's the story I was going to tell you. I was at uh, this uh, club that was next to a, a steakhouse. And I went to see a show, and something about it, the voice in the back of my head said, Greg, you could do this. And I thought, yeah, I think I could do this. I mean, you know, I've been studying comedy for a long time. And I love comedy. I go to all these different concerts and the clubs and that i should try it you know because i always did skits and things like that in school so i went to a club and i talked to um, one of the comics there and he gave me a lot of great advice and i wrote some notes i wrote down everything that he told me you know everything and i, I wrote five minutes of material and most of it was just sound effects and uh, <laughs> you know things like that. My sound effects were the punchlines to the jokes, basically. You know, I do a setup, and then I would uh, do a quick uh, vignette of a song, or you know, a lot of them. My jokes were music-based too, because I was a mobile disc jockey, and I was pretty steeped in pop culture and that. So I did a lot of that. And uh, first time, I did really well. Killed. Just had a great set. So I thought, ah, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to bring out all my friends. They're going to come see me. I'm going to kill. I bring out all my friends. And I died. I bombed. (laughs) I bombed so badly. And I thought, well, that's it, man. I'm never doing that again. (laughs) So I went for about a year. Uh, Just I didn't have anybody come out to the show. I just kept working on my stuff, just kept working at it, working at it. And uh, until finally, you know, you get a little better. You get five minutes and then you get 10. Then you go from 10 to 15. And then you start to get open spots uh, Spots on weekends. That's the most coveted spot is a spot on a weekend because it's a bigger crowd. And it's it's easier, too. You know, an open mic crowd, usually it's very small. And you get a couple of titters. And you don't know if it's funny or if if it's funny or it's not funny. You don't really know. You know, you need to, to have a full audience to figure out what's working and what's not. And not just once. It's got to happen several times. You know, you need lots of stage time. I mean, I remember when I was living in New York, my wife and I, were living there, and I used to work out at Catch a Rising Star. And some comics would go, they'd go to, they'd do three spots a night. They'd go to one club. They'd finish their spot there. They'd go to another club, work on the same material write some more notes down change a couple of words then go to the next club and then work out again so by the end of the night boom you're laughing when i was working out in los angeles similar sort of thing i would uh work out
0: One second, I think we got a freeze. One second, buddy. I think we have a technical glitch here. One second. Oops. Uh-oh. I think we lost him, folks. Let me see if I can re-invite him. Oops. Sorry about that. I think we had a technical glitch there. Yeah. I think, um, you know, internet. Yeah. Yeah, you doing good so far. Sorry about that folks. What are you, but, uh, what
1: are you gonna do? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Let's keep let's keep going now. Let's keep going. Well, so, on, so on the weekend I thought uh and then by the time I got to the weekend and I did it went to the clubs, you know, I'd usually have a gig in the Midwest somewhere. Uh that's when I really got to work it out, you know, because it would be mm-hmm. one or two shows a night and uh I would kind of work things out that way.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Now, let me ask you personally, I saw you wear a lot of interesting outfits on America's Got Talent. And even when you met me, you had a nice one on. Where do you get the where do you get your outfits from?
1: Uh, some of them were my wardrobe and a couple of them were things that they bought for me. Uh, they kind of dialed into what I liked and what I wore. It was pretty easy. I uh, <laughs> showed up. Lately, I've been into these OPPO suits, O-P-P-O. And uh, they make these suits, they're not that expensive. They're about 125 to $150. But they're colorful and they usually have themes. I've got about two Star Wars ones. They bought me a Pac-Man one and they bought me another one with the bam, boom, crash. It was kind of like a comic book thing, which was perfect for me. It's just exactly what I, that's my wheelhouse. You know, I like loud and, <laughs> crazy, just like my show. So, but my wardrobe was always a big thing for me starting out. Like I never knew what to wear on stage. Uh, I, I had a club owner say to me, uh, he was a, actually, he was an owner of a chain, comedy chain up here in Canada. Mark Breslin, the name, and Mark Breslin was his name. And uh, he ran Yuck Yucks. He founded Yuck Yucks. And uh, he said to me, you should wear a suit. And I never really understood that, what that meant, you know, because I thought a suit, like, nah, I was wearing, at the time I was wearing sweats. I had sweatpants and a sweatshirt, but they had cartoon characters on them. You know, that's what I wore. And I thought, nah, I need something that's comfortable so that I have some mobility. And, you know, because I moved around on, on stage a lot, I was very... Uh, Uh, I was really high uh, high energy. Then I said, you know what? He did say suits. I'm going to try it. And I tried it and I hated it. Like I just didn't feel comfortable wearing a suit. And it threw off my shows and my material. And I go like, well, there's got to be something to what he said. I'm just going to keep wearing the suit. And you know what I found out is that the audience didn't, under, didn't see it coming. It was kind of a, a, a stealth way of getting my material across. Like I'd come up and I'd look like I'm a, I'm a lawyer and I'm about to represent you in court and then, or an accountant, you know, and then the next thing, you know, uh, you know, I'm doing this crazy stuff, taking my suit off and putting on different wigs and costumes and that was, a, that made the shock even bigger. And I went, oh, I get it. It's like being your own straight man. I get it. But I went through a long phase. I went through, like, I, went, I wore bow ties for a while. I wore nice sweaters, high-end things. I never I, that, I never wore a T-shirt on stage. I never liked wearing a T-shirt, but, but suit. It's funny, though, because when I was a mobile disc jockey, I always wore a suit. But it just always felt very formal to me when it came to telling jokes. And then and I think that and then, of course, remember back in the 80s, a lot of guys would wear suits, they wore jackets, but they push the arms up. Do you remember that? And they would be all bunched up like this. <laughs> they look like some uh, history teacher. <laughs> uh so it's really gone through a real evolution. Now it's quite casual, it's completely different now what people wear on stage. But old school people. They like suits. They think, you know, dress like a professional, number one. And, dress, and number two, you should always dress better than your audience. I mean, they're paying to see you. And if they if you look just like them, well, then what the hell are they paying for? You might as well get their neighbor up there. So that's absolutely. where all that came from.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Now, you gave me some great advice when I met you about writing. You think you oh, could share okay. that advice with our audience? Like for the comedians out there writing new jokes,
1: give me a hint (laughs) because I—it
0: was something about when you wake up in the morning.
1: Oh, okay, yeah, 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 okay. I read this book. uh, Oh man, I think it was called "Writing on the Left Hand Side of the Brain." Is that is that it? I can't remember. I think that's what it is. Anyway, in there was an exercise. I said, when you wake up in the morning, do these morning pages. Three, you write three pages of stream of consciousness. You just write whatever it is. You don't have to read it, you don't have to keep it. When you're finished, you take it, you throw it away, but you just write whatever comes in your mind. It's like starting your car, it warms up the engine. And it gets that flow going. The, the connection between, you know, here and and your your writing hand, you know, and uh, I don't know, there's something, there's a connection there that you don't get when you're typing on a keyboard, When you actually have a pen or pencil in your hand, and you're just scratching, it's it's different, so I would say morning pages, number one, number two, remember that uh, writing is a lot like school, what you did in school, where the teacher is the straight person, and you come up with a punchline. Remember that? How the teacher would always say something, and then you'd have the smart-ass answer afterwards? Mm-hmm. That's the basic structure of what a joke is. So, uh, and I always liken it to that. And then when people think of it that way, they go, oh, yeah, well, I've done that. I did that all through school. So I guess I can write. Well, of course you can. Otherwise, why would you be in this, you know? But you just have to keep doing it. And you do it over and over again. And at first it doesn't work. And sometimes, a lot of times, it's it's too wordy. So you've got to edit. And you've got an uh, economy of language. That's a big lesson that a lot of people don't realize is that uh, the longer it takes to get to the punchline, the bigger the punchline has got to be. So if, if it's just a little sort of punchline, you're not going to get a great response. You got to cut that thing down. I don't know why people are so verbose. I think it's just our schooling. You know, we get into bad habits, or, or you know, when we're writing an exam or a paper, we got to go. What I got to write thirty pages on uh, Socrates? Filler, 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 filler. <laughs> you know, you just. <laughs> <laughs> or when you write an exam answer, you put the <laughs> you restate the question in your yeah. answer. <laughs>
0: Can you explain the 1970s and yeah, 1970s a beef statement? Right? Uh-huh. Everybody does that. That's when the teacher just reads and goes, yeah, uh, you didn't study.
1: Yep. Just take their big red pen and just exit. Mark it right out.
0: <laughs> oh, it on the nice try.
1: <laughs>
0: now, let me ask you this. Do you, you know, we're in one of the craziest times in our life with this whole pandemic, you know? Yeah. Um, do you see, what do you, how do you see this impacting, say, comedy clubs, and like, what do you think the results going to be from it?
1: Well, part of it I don't know because we're it's day to day. when the numbers go up that crazy and they start threatening to shut things down again. We're screwed. I mean, some of these clubs are not going to make it because they're smaller or they've already, they're have already they already on the edge. So they ain't going to make it, <laughs> I, I'm sorry to say. Uh, I hope they do. I would like to see that happen. Uh, as you know, some of the things that they're asking the, uh, these clubs to do, they're not conducive to comedy. For example, uh, six feet of distance between each table you wanna get a good comedy audience. You sit them right tight, close together and uh, you turn all the lights off and you, you have this intimacy and people come together as an audience. But to have them six feet apart, I mean, you know what that's like. It's like, a, it's like an empty night on a, an empty Wednesday or Thursday night at a club, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, it can be okay, but it's not great. Then you add in the face mask to that. And you can't see anybody's expression. You can't read them. So as you, as an artist, you're looking, and, and that's my whole thing is reading the crowd. I'm mm-hmm. not. I can't see anything except for, from here up. That's all I can see. Uh, it's crazy. And then the other thing that I thought of that is, is really going to affect us is that think of all of these top dogs, the comedians that play the theaters. Well, the theaters aren't coming back this year. So they gotta go to the clubs, which means what? Everybody gets bumped down a row. Because, I mean, if you if you go like, what, I can get Brian Regan for this, for how much? Oh yeah, 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 okay, well let's get Brian Regan in here. This, the guy who normally does the theaters? Yeah, let's get him in here. And Brian Regan, he can go and he can work on his new hour or half hour. He can work on a new special. I mean, it's great. He, I mean, it, it sucks that he won't have the theaters anymore, but he, when this is all over, boom, he'll have a special. But everybody's going to get, you know, it's going to be tough. Oh yeah. But especially for though, a lot of guys that that make their living on the ships. Like I don't know when the ships are going to come back, the cruise ships. You know, mm. it's got to be tough for a lot of those guys. Now I heard one thing that they may end up doing two shows instead of one and believe me <laughs> that would be great I don't think they will pay the other twice the money that's the only thing that's not so great about it but mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know you usually on a ship you don't do more than two shows a week anyway unless you're on carnival and then you can you do them I think you do them every night you know absolutely like a regular uh you know comedy club and you get to do your your half hour and then you're done you know Mm -hmm. hopefully they get a different audience in the next time and if they don't then you switch it up a little bit whatever but but uh we'll see what happens
0: absolutely now we have a request from the audience for someone without representation such as a manager or an agent what's your advice for or approach to um out of town comedy clubs you're featuring? I'll put the question on the screen for you.
1: Oh, okay. For someone, uh, agent, um, okay, well, that's a tough one. I would say, number one, don't go to an outside comedy club until you're ready because you will never get back into that club. They'll have you slotted and They'll go like, oh, that person's still an amateur, they're not ready. It'll take you a long time. Uh, Okay, I'll give you a story, okay? First time I I was just starting out, I had been in comedy for about two years, maybe three, and I always wanted to work uh, in New York while I got my chance, Rochester, New York. So, So I'm going to this club and my first time, and the audiences were completely different. I was not prepared i did not do well and i struggled for the whole week and i never got back to rochester for 10 years i mean it took that long to get back into that to that place so a really good lesson well learned there is that uh, don't try to expand before you're ready that's number one number two uh stay away from the bottom feeders now what i mean by that is if somebody comes up to you and they say that they want to represent you and you're still an open micer, run as far away as you flip and can, because what, what is 10 or 15% of nothing? It's nothing. That's ridiculous. Somebody saying that they're going to represent you when you're an open micer and you're still figuring things out. You don't need that. They're just going to hold you back. They're not going to help you at all. Uh, I think that's ridiculous. You just, you've got to put in your time. There's no skipping ahead, you know, or jumping the line. You just have to put your time in. That's all you have, to, all you can do. Now, I would say once you get to that point, uh, then I would ask either a club owner or maybe someone else who has representation. But they have to like, really like you. They've got to be, you know what I mean? Mm hmm. And they've got to feel that you're ready. And a lot of times it'll be a headliner. A headliner will go like, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, listen, you shouldn't be opening anymore. <laughs> you know, you're too strong for the show. And I've seen that happen to a lot of people where they're in a position where they're emceeing, and there's no way they should be emceeing. You know, they're far beyond that. But the club owner loves it. Why? Because they have a strong MC. you know, a strong host. Can dictate a show. A strong host can get a show off to a strong, a great start. And uh, you, you don't even have to work. The middle guy, you just basically you do your time and you're laughing. But if there's if you're so strong that the middle guy, uh, the feature act can't even follow you, uh, then you you need to move on to the next <laughs> the next stop, uh, the next part uh, place. So uh, when that starts happening. Uh, then you need to think about you know where you want to where you want to move to and how you want to do it you know but burn if you're going to burn your bridges burn most of them locally you know because mm-hmm. there's an old expression you can't be a hero in your hometown and you know how hard it is to get work in your hometown it's difficult almost impossible and then when you get good they never want to promote you they never want to, you never. They never want to move you up to feature act. You're, you're, you're the, uh, the host forever and ever. And it, it's a terrible place to be in, but the crazy thing about it is the host is one of the hardest jobs on the show. Now in Canada, it's completely different. What happens in Canada is the host of the, of the show is someone who has some of the most experience. They're usually someone who, uh, headlines regularly or is about to headline, and that's what, how they do it there. Why? Because, number one, they have the, the most time and experience, which means if something goes wrong with the show, they can cover the time. Let's say the feature act doesn't show up, or the feature act bombs his ass off, his or her ass off. Then the host comes back and says, okay, folks, that was exciting, and then they come up, and then they do a whole bunch of time, and they fill that gap that 20 minutes that the uh, the feature couldn't couldn't uh, handle. Or sometimes the headliner doesn't even <laughs> doesn't work out. How many times, you know, you've seen that sort of thing happen, right? Where a headliner will bomb so badly and they'll have to leave the stage and the club owner doesn't want people demanding their money back. So the host has got to go back up and complete the show, whatever that rest of that time is. It could be a half hour. Now, an opening, an opening act doesn't have that kind of time. And I, that's why I never understood why they had that kind of hierarchy. So if you're in the opening spot and you're hosting right now and you're getting a little restless, just be patient because this is the fastest way to learn comedy. I know it doesn't seem like it, but you can learn a lot in the MC spot. A lot. You can learn crowd work. Now, unfortunately with crowd work, usually they don't want you to do any crowd work. And that's because a lot of people aren't experienced enough to do crowd work, but it is a very important part of MCing. you have to do a little bit, you know, you got to do birthdays and anniversaries and things like that. You got to do a little bit of that, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's a way of learning how to get your own personal, uh, your personality across to the, the, uh, the audience. That's when you are your most authentic self. And that's a hard thing to find. You know, I remember when I was starting out, i go like, who am I? What is my character? Well, the answer to that is looking at back at you in the mirror. But it's not that simple because it's a caricatured person of that. It's slightly amplified. It's a little different. You know, uh, so you, how do you figure that out? Well, you've got to listen to, you've got to record your sets. You've got to listen objectively and, uh, take your set and listen to it on the tape and transcribe it, find out all the, all the that superfluous language, cut it out, get it, just distill it and start thinking about what your attitude and your emotions are on stage. Thinking. Think about what the attitudes and the emotions that go with uh, the joke. So if I tell a joke and it has a, a there's an air of frustration or anger, well then why am I not acting that on stage? I should be angry at this moment. Like why does my wife leave it so that there's only you know my husband leaves it so that there's only one sheet of toilet paper on the toilet roll and he never changes the damn toilet paper. That pisses me off. You know, you know see so you you bring that frustration with it and then people they, they they hear that and they they go like, "Yeah, why is that?" And that's so true and then you get a laughter of recognition. And then there come So there's a bit of acting involved, you know. Now a lot of us that get into this stand-up comedy thing, we're not actors. And That's a whole nother skill, but you need to learn it. You need to, in order to take it to the next level. Otherwise, you're just a joke teller. You're you're a joke machine. I mean, I know it's, joke writing is very, very important. And you should spend the majority of your time writing, focusing on writing and structure. But performance is just as important, if not maybe more, because I've seen, Comics who are not great joke tellers are absolutely fabulous at selling their act. And you know, you'll go like, "Well, how did he get such a great laugh on that? This guy, that, that that's such a lame joke." Well, the the comedian sold it. That's that's how they did it, right? Uh, so uh, the sell is so important. That's that's number one, and uh, just. Uh, anyway, going back to the question, I wouldn't worry about, about the representation part. If it's going to happen, it will happen. Just worry about getting good. If, as long as you're good, somebody's going to want to represent you. And you want to be represented by uh, you know a really good agency, uh, someone that can get you a lot of work. But figure out what your goals are, too. You should write down what your goals are. You know, I want to be in how many clubs or... Uh, by a certain date, or uh, I want to have these particular bookers as regular contacts so that I can always go to them for work or get on, get on their list somehow, you know, or I need a, a good car, a good road car. You know, you got to start thinking of it this way, what m- your budget's going to be and how you're going to make that leap from uh, just being a uh, an amateur comic to a full-time comic, which is not an easy thing to do. And I would also say to focus on on, on either what your next step is, the either television or uh, radio, film, whatever that might be, right, Nick? Because mm-hmm. uh, the clubs, you've got to remember, are the gym. And nobody makes it in the gym. Arnold Schwarzenegger didn't make it in the gym. I mean, you know, he had to go to comp. He went to competitions and he went to uh, things like that. And, of course, that was one step that that he took, you know, weightlifting competitions and bodybuilding competitions. But film, movies, that's a whole other thing. And uh, that's the whole next level, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Now, what's your advice for people who are practicing comedy during this pandemic? Like, what should we be doing during this time since we have so much of it now? Well, write,
1: obviously, uh, study, uh, read. You should be reading uh, comic biographies. You could take that master class from uh, 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 Steve Martin. Steve Martin, thank you. Uh, there's a lot of great videos. You you could watch uh, some Tonight Show vids. Uh, you know, just, just study. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I think it's important. Um, you're not going to believe this. I, this is an important thing. Uh, I, I I know it helped me. I don't know if it would help anybody out there or not, but music helps a lot. You should listen to music because uh comedy is a lot like music there's a lot of similarities there's a lot of you know there are rhythms in comedy there are uh especially rhythms and uh, i said that once to uh this one comic i was working with ron shock and he was an incredible uh storyteller and if you get a chance maybe look up him up on youtube ron shock s-h-o-c-k and he was with the uh the outlaws of comedy. You remember, um oh, oh. come on, help me out here. It's, it's his name just went out of my, uh, out of my head. Sam Kinison. Sam, mm-hmm. Yeah. Sam Kinison. And, uh, he used to hang out with Sam Kinison and, uh, the other guy? He was really pop. who was really Who's the other guy that everybody copies from that eighties. Mm. Do you remember?
0: eighties. I know there's there's definitely like maybe some of my comedian buddies will help me out, but there's a ton of them. There's um This guy is famous. Yeah. I'm I am want to say some names but I don't want to get the wrong
1: the wrong years, you know. He died uh, he died of no not dice, not dice. Unfortunately he died of cancer.
0: Hmm. I'm trying to think is he uh I can't think of his name either, but I'm sure he's. God. no, not
1: Bobcat, no. Okay. Everybody's grown up with good names up here. Mm-hmm. Everybody copies him.
0: It's not a what's his name because his name just flipped out of my head for a second, but I know his material. I think. Bill Hicks. He'll, he'll come to us eventually. It was Bill Hicks. Bill Hicks. Okay. Bill
1: Hicks, yeah. I, don't know how I forgot Bill Hicks for crying out loud, but anyway, and uh, so he hung around all these guys, right? And uh, these guys were legendary in comedy, and uh, there aren't many of them left now, um, but I, I was watching him the way he was telling a story, and it was so cool, and I said, I said, man, this is like a piece of music. And he said, you're right. He said, and it's funny that you should say that because I've been on stage with a live band where I told my stories where the band would play. They would jam in the background as I'm telling the story. And it was, it was so cool. So the, the comedian was kind of riffing, almost like a jazz riff uh, with the music. So cool. Music and comedy are so intertwined. I can't tell you if you have any musical talent at all. I mean, uh, you, you're, that will help you a great deal with uh, stand-up comedy.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, let me ask you, I'm going to ask you two more questions. The first one. Now, what are you up to today during all this time? You know, what are
1: some things that you've been doing? Uh, well, right now I've been, I've been working on a, uh, a podcast, I'm mm. um, doing a, a regular podcast. I'm doing a podcast where I do all the voices. Ooh, yeah. yeah, it's a lot of work because I just realized I've got to write the whole thing. <laughs> I've got to write both parts. In some, in some cases, I've got to write three, four, five different parts. So, uh, but I've got the first episode done. The second episode is halfway finished and recorded. I want to get about five done, and then I'm, and then I'm going to put them out and uh it's a star wars related uh podcast so it's uh what if the empire had a you know how we have rush limbaugh we have shock jocks or right wing radio and uh, they're often bombastic type characters and i thought wouldn't this be so cool if a guy like that were the host of an of a, a radio program in that universe, in a galaxy far, far away, and he was uh, he did these shows for the Empire, and uh, so he'd uh, crap all over the rebels, you know. But but the Empire they were they were the best, and that's you know that's where you should go. So I. I, I <clears throat> So I came up with this this voice here and now uh, yeah hey, uh this is I, I what I did was I Star Wars my name mm-hmm. if you take the first three letters of your first name and you take the first three letters of your last name you put them together that's your Star Wars name so my my name is grimo <clears throat> so <laughs> exactly (laughs) nick Sore. that sounds like you just got back from the clinic So uh, so, anyway i I, I will i'll talk about these this is a welcome to the voice of the empire and that's the name of the show it's voice of the empire where we talk about issues that matter to you well maybe not to you but they matter to the empire so they're gonna matter to you and uh <clears throat> Every week I have guests on, or sometimes I don't. Sometimes I just have an open line call. I have people call in, and, you know, gungans. I recently think that you should be calling some people, some
0: people,
1: um, because um, it is very
0: offensive.
1: What, what what are you talking about? You know, <laughs> just crazy stuff. Then I put in my own commercials. I got a commercial for Blue Milk. Now it's so satisfying. I've got the footprints in the desert. Tatooine. It's hot and dry and you're thirsty. And the only thing that can satisfy that thirst is a nice cool glass of blue milk. Bantha milk. Sponsored by the moisture farmers of Tatooine. <laughs> and as I'm saying this, you can hear the milk pouring into the glass, and oh, it just, it's just—it's so crazy, wild. Like two guys in a truck. I've got uh, two guys in a, a ship, or one guy in a Wookie in a ship, or you know, and and they instead of moving your stuff, they smuggle your stuff around the galaxy. Just different commercials, uh, CPAP machine for Darth Vader, things like that. Just crazy things, whatever I can come up with. There's always a commercial break in the center. And then then we come back on the other side. People phone in death threats. It's crazy. So it's going to be something crazy will happen every episode. And then it kind of carries over. And it's episodic. So I'm working on season one. I'm not sure how many episodes I'm going to do. And then I'll do season two. And i want to set it in each kind of uh, part of the universe. So but it's pretty cool. Absolutely, and you're gonna have to send me the link for that. <laughs> the, uh, the, the creature that I'm basing it on is uh, a basilisk. So if you uh, watched the prequels, do you remember Dex?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: In the, uh, what was that one, in the Clone Wars, right? Yeah. Yeah, and he's work- he works at the diner. Remember that great big guy and he's got four arms and two legs? It's that, that species, no, depending on what your, how much uh, is in your pocketbook. Uh, so that's where I kind of got that grip from the voice. I went like that, but I kind of gave it more of a lazy kind of thing. And then <clears throat> but anyway, so that's what I'm working on right now. And uh, uh, I'm working on some virtual shows. Uh, I just had one come to me uh, last week. i working on that and just writing down some ideas for when I get to go back up on stage will be, which will be in uh, July, um, towards the end of July, I think it's the 22nd. I'll be at the, um, let me have a quick look here, at the, oh, let's see here, wow, it's Comic Cabana in Myrtle Beach, which just had a Oh That's great, thanks. Um, <clears throat> so. We'll see how that goes. I'll be there all week, (laughs) and that's it. Absolutely.
0: Now, my final question, and I'm glad one of my audience members brought this up. Let's end on a high note. You're not on a a series of impressions for us, just like a just like a freestyle impression.
1: I think doesn't he sound like this? He's a lot like this, isn't he? That's what Elf sounds like. He's kind of you know. Now yeah. the, the funny story: I worked on Elf the cartoon, believe it or not. And really? I, yeah, I was Elf's his little brother or, or something like that. And he his, his name was like this. <laughs> hey, g- 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 Gordon. <laughs> he sounded a lot like that. So if you look at my my uh, my name under IMDb. You'll see that that's one of the credits. That's one of the shows I worked on was uh, was Elf the cartoon. I worked on Police Academy the cartoon. I worked on Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I was a director on that. I also directed uh, voice for Hammerman with MC Hammer. Hammerman Hammer MC Hammer had his own cartoon for about a minute. And uh, <laughs> but I worked on a lot of different shows. Uh, Hello Kitty. That was the first cartoon I worked on. And uh, uh, he said the name of the character was Grinder, and he was, a, he was a dog. And he, he told me like this. So the, the, the direction that they gave to me is we want somebody who sounds a bit like Fred Gwynn from F- Car 54. And he said I, they said, do you remember Car 54? I go like, well, just barely, because it was in the 50s. And uh, Fred Gwynn, uh, for the, those of you in your audience who don't remember, he played the judge in my cousin Vinny, that that might would be a more recent reference. Or for some of you who are uh, real geeks, if you remember the Munsters, he played Herman Munster.
0: That's oh, yeah. where Gwyn
1: was. But anyway, he, he was a cop on on Car Fifty Four, and he would get when he got excited, he would go like, oh 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 oh, and so I, that's my was my signature thing for my character. I go, oh, oh oh, it was. Just amazing working on that show, and you know sometimes I wouldn't I'd be doing more than one voice uh, because it was called Hello Kitty's Fairy Tale Theater, and you can still find them. I mean I've been in grocery stores and uh, at Target I saw a couple of copies of it at uh, at Target. Uh, it's a few months ago. Uh, Hello Kitty's uh, Fairy Tale Theater. Have a look for it, and you'll if you look on the back you'll see my name in the credits. Hopefully they haven't taken it off. But I, I was, uh, yeah, I was the voice of of that and several other different voices in the show. And they'd give us at least, you know, one or two extra, we, have, we get to audition for different voices in the show. And uh, it was so much fun, different characters. And uh, at the end of the season, the director came up to me and he says to me, listen, uh, you know, you have a background in animation, right? I go, yeah. I, I, Done a lot of this, you know. I've done some voices and uh, for student films. He says, Well, how would you like to direct? I go, like, What are you kidding? What is it? Is there anybody else in the room? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. So, because it would cost them a lot of money to, to fly somebody up from Los Angeles to work on their shows. So I got to work on uh, uh, directing voice for animation. And one of the first shows I worked on. Was the Super Mario Brothers Super Show? Remember that where Captain Lou Albano was Super Mario? Do you remember that? And it, it had live-action wraparounds. Now, I didn't do any of the live-action wraparounds, but I did. I directed the voice for the characters for the cartoon and that. And uh, and it was so cool at the time because I was such a huge gamer, and I had the I had this Nintendo, and my wife and I would play. Super Mario Brothers, you know, like, oh gosh, till about two, three in the morning, you know, staying <laughs> trying to get to the next level on this set thing. Finally did beat that game. That, remember that? That's when games were really hard. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> remember the moment the Secret levels and- <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. moment, your wife, honey, come back to bed.
1: Be right there, be right there. Almost done, almost done, almost done, <laughs> I'm almost on the next world. I'll be right with you. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely, At the next level. <laughs> Absolutely,
0: I'm this close to being Bowser.
1: There's
0: <laughs> <laughs> another question from the audience. Of cameo.
1: <laughs> What's cameo?
0: I think he means like with like the, the with the voices that you do, or you know.
1: Well, you know, you get you get money from uh, you get residuals residual checks mm. from your, uh, your animation work. And I, but you know, this, a lot of this work was done in the nineties. Mm. So that was me coming right out of practically out of college. Really mm-hmm. late eighties, early nineties was when I, uh, started getting into voice. Timmy is when you play people to pay direct messages. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Now I know what you're talking about. Yes, I just saw that the other day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Funny you uh, you should mention that because uh, uh, my agent just uh, sent me that a few days ago. And he said, hey, Greg, what do you think of this? I said, yeah, I'm all for it because, you know, obviously with this pandemic going on, you know, we're not going (laughs) to. This is a great way to get some extra income. And I'd love to do that, you know. You know, I've done it as favors for other people. You know, just saying happy birthday to to different people in a funny voice. So, yeah, exactly. It's a great way to get extra money. Kill it, you know. And it a different voices. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yep.
0: Like I said, let's end on a high note. You think you could do a little freestyling for us? The freestyling characters.
1: Yeah. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> Please, thanks for the sour persimmon, Buster. <laughs> hey, friend, like, wow, yeah. <laughs> <Rebellion>, you, are fired. Hi, <laughs> An MBA for me. <laughs> oh, 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 gosh. Oh, hi, I thought. Whoa, me down.
0: <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> I I applaud you. And I actually have a funny story for you. She's going to murder me later when she hears this. But I showed your Star Wars video to my girlfriend for the first time the other day. Mm -hmm. And she was clapping and she's like, I don't know why I'm clapping. He can't hear me.
1: (laughs) People who wear a mask in their car.
0: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So. Anyways, thank you so much for joining us. This is one of our best episodes yet. You know, you have been a great buddy to You're me. Good.
1: You shouldn't have members of your family on the show. I mean, what are they going to know? What do they know about comedy? Good point.
0: I'll <laughs> <laughs> get my-
1: started in uh, <laughs> motherhood. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> i her later as I'm uh,
1: pulling out the wooden yeah, um, Your daddy got me drunk. And- <laughs> yes. Yeah.
0: As she's pulling out, say I'm funny and one say I'm not funny one more time, boy. I dare you.
1: <laughs> I dare you. I double know dare you. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. Anyways, to my buddies out there, this is my good buddy Greg Morton. Thank you so much for being on the show. Stick around afterwards. There's someone I want you to meet. But okay. thank you so, so much. You thank are you. incredible. You're thank very talented. You're I desperately hope you come back to Erie one day. And if so, you know, you and me are getting lunch.
1: Oh, so. I'll coming back. Even if it's passing through. I'll be on my way to cook. Let me know. Let me know. <laughs> all right. Good, good. Thanks, Tell uh, To all my
0: buddies out there, we'll catch you next time on it's Buddy. A name for a
1: podcast, by the way.
0: Thank but, you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. But um, we'll catch you next time here on BuddyCast. Thank Have you. Have a good night.